0: the discussion.
1: Uh, well, thank you very much. Can you hear me at the back, or do I need to go to a microphone? Uh, if my voice drops, which it might, if I start thinking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you Just go like that. Uh, well, uh, Tom asked me, uh, we had an email exchange, because it was important uh, to both of us that we not pass each other by at ship's in the night, because Uh, Though uh, there are philosophers who uh, who uh, are very interested uh, in neuroscience and think it has a lot to offer philosophy, I've been very skeptical about what it might have and what what scientific investigation generally might have uh, to teach uh, moral philosophy. Uh, So uh, we had an email exchange and he asked me whether I thought the physical evidence of the brain activity might have something uh, to teach philosophy, uh, and uh, to which uh, I replied uh, that if, as he, I think, claims, it gives support to uh, the idea that there's a form of understanding to which feeling is intrinsic, not just that it facilitates that understanding in the way, let's say, being frightened uh, might facilitate your understanding of all sorts of things, or trigger uh, an awareness that you might otherwise not... Uh, have, 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 uh, had treated. Uh but if it's intrinsic uh, to the form of understanding, uh, if neuroscience uh, can in fact even give support to that, but if it could actually settle that question, uh, then it would have a lot to contribute to philosophy uh, because there are a lot of, in fact, standardly philosophical thought about understanding about the cognitive denies that. Uh, so it would be a, a pretty radical sort of thing, uh, a radical intervention uh, in, in philosophy if that were the case. And I actually believe uh, that there is uh, a form of understanding uh, to which feeling is intrinsic, a form of understanding, to use an old-fashioned expression, in which head and heart uh, inextricably combine and can't be separated. Uh, but in my view, it's 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 a form of understanding uh, such that form form of presentation and content can't be separated, and therefore I think for that form of understanding, for what <coughs> Tom calls emotional knowing, literature has much more to offer than I think science. Uh, and I won't. I won't, I'll just I'll just say that, brother, doctor. Whether what what what, what one thinks science on the whole has to contribute to philosophy, especially let's say to moral philosophy, which is uh, essentially our topic, is forgiveness is an issue in moral philosophy, <coughs> depends on what you what, what you think it's offering a, an explanation or enlightenment of. And uh, and so taking the lead out of Socrates, book, I want I want to say when people ask Socrates, look, do you think virtue can be taught, for example, or is it a skill? or someone might now say, look, is it uh, based on evolution or what? My answer would be, let's get a clearer understanding of the phenomena of which we're asking these questions. Uh, Because if you have a simplified account of the matter, if, for example, let's just take as an example, you think, uh, if you have a simple enough view of altruism, then even soldier acts will come out as altruism. (coughs) So if you have a simplified and slightly reductionist view of the phenomena, then a reductionist scientific theory will be quite adequate to it, to the phenomena, as thus reductionistly, simplistically described. So that, that's a, a big issue. Now, I uh, I take it that whatever else forgiveness is, it's, it's, it's an act directed at, at, at a wrong that has been done to the person <laughs> who, who, who does the forgiving. And so it's pretty central to the understanding of forgiving Uh, to look at what you think wronging somebody, or or suffering a moral wrong, comes to. And one of the things that uh, has interested me uh, in this is is to look at at what, in order to understand what it might mean to wrong somebody, uh, is to look at what a remorseful person, a person who, in a very sober moment of a moral life, says, my God, what have I done? Uh, And that that looks like, on the face of it, one takes the expression naturally, looks like a kind of pained realisation, a pained understanding, to some degree an incredulous understanding of the meaning or significance of what one had done when one wronged some particular person. Uh, And uh, to explore this a little bit, I'm going to talk about Socrates because it will dramatise a thing. Socrates have something to teach neuroscience, (laughs) or neuroscience have something to teach Socrates. And I'm going to talk about Socrates because in a very famous dialogue, a very important dialogue anyway, he enunciated a claim which has really become fundamental uh, to the moral and indeed the political uh, traditions in the West. And in that dialogue, it is called Gorgias, uh, he says to his incredulous interlocutor. He says it's better to suffer evil than it is to do it. And he also says, in that <coughs> same dialogue, that, and this is the usual translation, evildoers are miserable and pitiable. <coughs> uh, don't, don't worry about the word evil here. Not just, that, that's how kind of the translation goes. Just translate it as people who seriously wrong somebody. If, if, if but I'll keep using he says they're miserable and pitiable. And he says this to a chap called Polus. He says, come on, he must be joking. Uh, everybody knows that some evildoers get away with things and they and uh, they, 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 they flourish. And he tells Socrates a story of a tyrant whose name was Archelaus. And Arca- Archelaus had acceded to the throne, having committed some pretty terrible deeds, including shoving his brother. So, and uh, Polus obviously takes it as an empirical question, a factual question. Is the evildoer miserable and pitiable? Polus thinks he knows what evildoing is, and then he looks around to see if it's true. And he gives this as an example and says, look, loves. he's cheerful, he's happy, he's exiged to throne, he looks to be flourishing. You're going to tell me this man is miserable and pitiable? And in, a, and in a very important moment in the dialogue, there <coughs> in a moment of great artistry, actually, because Plato, as well as being a great philosopher, a great poet, Socrates says, in reply to Polo says, well, I don't know. It depends how he stands in relation to good and evil. And I take it what he means is, I don't know if I can trust your account of what the man did. So that's why he's saying, I don't know. It depends how he stands then Polis says, and this is the moment of pathos, what? (coughs) It depends just on that? And Socrates says, yes, just on that, whether he's become an evil that's it. Not another thing. Socrates doesn't say, look, Archelaus, you say he's cheerful and all the rest of it, but you don't know what his nights are like. You don't know how anxious he is, and you don't know when He doesn't say anything like that. He says, merely by virtue of being an evildoer, the person is miserable and pitiable. If you find this, if you're incredulous about this in the way that Polis is, then I, 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 I suggest that remorse takes us to an understanding of what this might mean. The remorseful person, the person who says, my God, what have I done? When they've realized they've done something morally terrible, let's say betrayed somebody, amongst other things, realizes how terrible it is to have become such a person who did this, irrespective of what else might happen afterwards. All sorts of things might follow, you might go to prison, etc., etc. But (coughs) independently of that, the remorseful attention, my God, what have I done, is as much as what have I become in having become person who did this that, that's, that's one thing but the other thing is, is, if, this is seri- if this is serious remorse then though intrinsic to it is the realisation of how terrible it is that one has become such a person what is the person of the person who did this to that person so there's no division of attention here between self and the other. In fact, if there were, if the person was concerned with himself, at the expense of what the victim suffered, that person would rightly be rebuked and say, for God's sake, don't pretend to yourself the what this person suffers." So remorse is, 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 is uh, an indivisible attention to what, on the one hand, <coughs> one ha- what one has how merely through becoming a wrong to and also on how terrible it is that the person who has who has been who you've wronged has suffered this kind of wrong and the point i want to make now rather quickly is if you ask what does the person who suffers the wrong suffer then usually it's let's, let's say it's a betrayal let's say the person very often, of course, there are, uh, there are natural physical and psychological consequences of this. Perhaps they're taken to prison, perhaps they're <coughs> interrogated and beaten or whatever. Right? But supposing, just for the sake of argument, that this betrayal has no natural consequences, let's just for the sake of argument assume that the person to whom the betrayal, the secret was told, dies on a bus and nothing, nothing else happens. It would still be intelligible, it seems to me, for someone who knew of this to pity the person who'd been betrayed. And if somebody were to say, well, why, you, why, why are you sorry for them? Why, why are you sorry for them? They've suffered nothing. Thank God. It would have been terrible. Then a very natural and I think perfectly intelligible answer is to say, I'm sorry for them because they've been betrayed. That's now a fundamental aspect of who they are. And so this parallels the, Socrates, the, the the remorse. Remorse is this kind of recognition of what one has become nearly because one wrongs somebody, And a person who has been wronged, then their attention, sometimes they resentful at the pretensions, is of course on whatever natural and psychological harms they suffer as a consequence, but also on something not reducible to that. In this case, on the fact that they were betrayed, not just that they suffered this or that harm. And what I'm going to suggest to you is, 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 is that forgiveness, I mean, when, when let's, let's put a student, the person who uh, has been betrayed, forgives the person who betrays him. Forgiveness, I'm suggesting, is is a perspective on what it means to wrong and to be wronged from the perspective of the one who suffered the wrong. Just as remorse is a perspective on what it means to wrong someone and to be wronged, but from the perspective of the wrongdoer. And I I suspect what forgiveness, the the essential focus of of forgiveness (coughs) is the recognition of what a terrible thing the wrongdoer has suffered by virtue of having become a wrongdoer. That if it's true, as Socrates says, that wrongdoers are miserable and pitiable, and that it's a terrible, really a terrible thing to be a wrongdoer, A kind of thing we express, something we express when we say things like, I couldn't live with myself if I did that. Or something that if you think of a mother, for example, grieving over a a child who's become a terrible wrongdoer, and her grief is just because that child has become a wrongdoer, not also because of whatever else they might suffer, imprisonment or whatever. And if the person, if the child... grief will be even deeper because the grief grief in this case of the mother attending to the wrongdoing of her child focuses on what the child has become merely by virtue of being a wrongdoer whether the child recognizes that or not and of course the grief becomes more intense if the child doesn't recognize it because if there's one thing worse than to be a wrongdoer it's to be a wrongdoer who doesn't about the fact that he or she is a wrong <coughs> So we have, we have these different perspectives, and this is something we I'd like to discuss with Tom as he, as he talks about entropy. We have a perspective of the person who's <coughs> remorseful, and this is a perspective on how <coughs> terrible it is to become someone who did such a thing, indivisibly coupled to a recognition of how terrible it is. have the perspective of the person who was wrong who also realizes how terrible it is for the person who wronged her to become <coughs> an evil one, And of course realizes how terrible it is for herself to have been wrong in that way. And then we can have the possible perspective of a spectator, uh, of the person who sees sees both. And I I I, I would agree with you, that the understanding involved in all in all these cases <coughs> the understanding that's involved in remorse when a person says my god what have i done they might even say only now do i fully realize the significance of what i do the perspective of, 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 of the victim who comes perhaps overcoming resentment or the rest to realize what a terrible thing it <coughs> and offers forgiveness directed to that, but to relieving that terrible burden. These forms of understanding, I think, are forms of understanding in which feeling is, is, from which feeling is inseparable. Uh, they, well, I don't want to say much more than that. Maybe I'll say more about what kinds of inseparability this is. Because after that's the big question. in in discussion. But this is a point of uh, of important agreement, but it's better between Tom and I. I think an important point of disagreement is that I think that let's say (coughs) the remorseful persons emotional (coughs) understanding, emotional coming to know fully what it means person who, who, to take Socrates' phrase, pities that person, but in, in more modern, in more modern formulation would be feels compassion for them, or perhaps feels empathy for them, or perhaps understands that only through empathy. Obviously it has a different kind of understanding. There the understanding is compassion, but the, but the remorseful person is not compassionate towards himself. And that would be self-pity and the spectator's perspective I think is different so I'm disinclined to think as I think Tom is to think that (coughs) empathy is actually feeling oneself what the person with whom I empathize is uh, feeling that's an important uh, point of disagreement I think between us and the other thing (coughs) as I said at the beginning I suspect to the extent that there is a form of emotional understanding, the form, form of understanding to which feeling is intrinsic, then I think it's literature and the, or the arts more generally that offer us a deepened understanding of what? Of the objects of that understanding. So I think, for example, if you want to understand about remorse and its corruptions, read Justice, read Justice. not not because they will furnish one with good hypotheses which one can extract from the form in which it's been delivered to us that is, the novel's reform and its its distinctive prose and to write it on a blackboard in a kind of tone-free way abstracted from its form the point that I would like to argue and I, I... is that, to the extent that there is such a thing as emotional understanding, it's always in an idiom in which form and content can't be separated. And in an idiom to which it's intrinsic to be able to say things to someone who claims <coughs> an emotional understanding, to say things like, you claim that only because you're sentimental, or because you've got a tin of an iron, or because you're turned dead, or because you're yielding to which is the sort of thing that we do when we discuss. Let's so say we come out of a movie, and we're really moved by what's happening. and We say, oh, I never believed it could be so. i really come to see something that I hadn't seen before. And then someone might say, you think you do, but that's because you're such a sucker for any sense. Sort of thing. So I'm going to suggest that emotional understanding is a form of understanding in which style is in which form Thank you. I think
2: um, the best way to proceed is if you just present your perspective. Me, sorry, Can we have any lock-in finger pointer? No. We did. Okay. Well, I, I was hoping to have a laser pointer so I'll have to keep my finger in, in, <laughs> instead for this. Um, so I'd like to thank the um, organisers for inviting me here today. Uh, my uh, talk is going to be quite uh, different today, <laughs> uh, but hopefully we, we will be able to uh, find some parallels between us, uh, and what I'm going to be doing is talking about a uh, study uh, which we uh, conducted in uh, Sheffield in 1998-1999, uh, quite a <laughs> long time ago, it was last century, I suppose, yeah, I um, We did this. This, this study, um, which which was was back towards the uh, sort of earlier days of um, like imaging, and at that uh, time people had already looked uh, at certain basic concepts, and therefore this uh, talk is, is really about the uh, thought processes that we went uh, through in uh, thinking if, if you were to try to image, i oh like forgiveness. How would you go about this? Uh, and as I said, the uh, study itself was uh, funded by the John Templeton Foundation. Some of you may be like aware of. Uh, who put out a call in about 1996, 1997 for uh, studies uh, that would bring together the aspects of, of, <coughs> of uh, science and uh, like religion, so like theology and like psychiatry, and 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 therefore it, it was at that, that that type of. Of boundary that we were actually uh, thinking about this so uh, I'm going to start off with a very uh, brief overview of neuroimaging primer for those of you uh, who know nothing about this uh, there may be some people uh, in the audience who know more than others about this Uh, so so what we're talking about here is uh, functional um, (coughs) magnetic resonance imaging so so on the (coughs) uh, left here we have a uh, scanner this is the uh, scanner here, it's a lot of donuts. Uh, the person is lying on the, the bed <coughs> of the uh, scanner. Uh, they have this, this head coil which is, 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 uh, is, is, is over their eyes, and therefore they can see a screen above them, and you can present a, a signal to them. And they're actually slipped in to the magnet. Uh, so, so, this is like, regarded as a like, non invasive form of imaging. We don't have to like, inject them with a like contrast agent or um, anything like that and, and the uh, basic uh, property that we're looking at uh, is the difference between oxygenated and deoxygenated <coughs> blood the properties of deoxyhemoglobin and how they act in a magnetic field and very basically uh, if a blood is, is well, like oxygenated then it, then it has two iron atoms on it and therefore it reacts differently, in a magnet. I can't say no more than that. <laughs> uh, so basically uh, we, we're looking, uh, I should say, at a surrogate marker of brain activity. So whereas we would like to be looking at uh, the neural activity in the brain, what we're looking at is the distribution of oxygenated blood within the brain, and we're then interpreting that as a that surrogate marker of the activity in the uh, brain and the basic setup that we use is this contrasting task so the person in the scanner does two alternating tasks which we can then actually I like, subtract and that means and, and, and the two tasks only <coughs> by that process of interest and therefore we can actually I like, subtract them and basically what you're actually left with is the uh, difference between them so all of the activity that is going on on in the brain or anyway at that sort of baseline level is subtracted out uh, it's worth pointing out that in terms of the uh, power of these types of uh, techniques that in general you need to look at groups of individuals so in general with this type of technique we can't see an activation within one person uh, an therefore we have to look at uh, groups of, of individuals but of course we can look at within and um, between group comparisons so an indi- a, 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 a group of, of people who were doing a, 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 a task and the difference uh, between that, that task and also the uh, difference uh, between two groups. And and really this type of technique uh, is very uh, reliant on the uh, paradigm that you present the uh, subjects in in the scanner. And really in terms of Ray's talk, Ray is talking with great sort of precision about forgiveness and what it means. And clearly the uh, difficulty that we have in all of this is trying to actually nail down what the person is doing in the uh, scanner and how to get them to perform a particular task. Uh, which is of course much more difficult. Uh, it's all very well uh, to be saying in words what you want them to right do, but whether you, you can actually focus them, them them in on that is another question. So uh, basically when, when we were thinking about the design of this paradigm, uh, we were looking at uh, some previous research. Um, which had looked uh, at some of these concepts. So, the first uh, of the definitions, which uh, I'm going to give, which relates to the previous study, is one of theory of mind, which is uh, defined generally as the attribution of independent mental states to and self and others, as the way we're saying the distinction uh, between self and others, to explain and predict behaviour. this is also known as mind reading or, or like mentalising. And this comprises of uh, two uh, different types of like, theory of mind: the cold cognition which is inferring other people's uh, epistemic states, so their beliefs and their knowledge and their focus of attention and what is known as hot cognition the affective states, so their emotions and their preferences and their beneficent or hostile intentions um, and it also brings in aspects of uh, self-reflection you may want everyone see the uh, slides? It's quite a bit of light up here, it's much clearer on, on my on my screen than it is on here, but you can all see them and you? you can read them vaguely. Um, I'm, I'm sure we could turn the lights up if with me. I don't know whether that would, would help if you're any lights to see the font it might get slightly better contrast. I'll continue. Um, another of of, 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 of the uh, definitions definition is the idea of uh, social cognition. So this is the mental representations and processes underlying uh, social judgment and social perception. And this is very something, an area which I'm very uh, interested in in terms of uh, psychiatry, which is really patients' <laughs> difficulty in uh, picking up sort of subtle cues from the person that they are interacting with. So with very, very sort of subtle cues that we pick up. Uh, and then the concept of empathy, which we find is to identify with and understand another person's situations feelings and motives and that this includes the expression and the interpretation uh, of emotions and uh, we would have uh, the concept of empathy from the concept of uh, sympathy uh, as being the <coughs> um, affinity association or relationship between persons who are Whatever um, is affecting one simply affects the other. So in, so in uh, sympathy, you would share the feelings of another person. In empathy, you would feel those uh, feelings. And it's it therefore a more like emotional knowing of another person. And that sort of visceral feeling that you get rather than an intellectual understanding. And there's a number uh, of different <coughs> types Of empathy, so this is one which is known as uh, sympathetic projection, being drawn into the emotions of an external situation. So hopefully, seeing this makes you feel like viscerally and uh, like mentally a particular feeling, and this is uh, what we were trying to get at in terms of empathy. Um, Another um, example is involuntary emotional. Identification. So hopefully all of you are identifying with this, but not quite as much as me because this is my daughter and I the photo last week. <laughs> and therefore the, the importance of uh, context, because it hopefully means more to me or does mean more to me than it means to you.
3: Uh,
2: it's also there in terms of sympathetic <laughs> understanding. When this photo comes up, people have that drawing in of breath what are you doing when you go this is merely a a photo but what you are doing is projecting the idea of if that happened to me god that would hurt (laughs) so you are feeling that it's merely a a, a photo but it's clearly much more than that equally these types of of, of concepts involve the Interpretation of very complex situations. I don't know exactly what is going on in this photo, but this is taken during the like, Vietnam War. Uh, I think that the chap on the right is a like US, uh, like Marine. Uh, they've stopped this. Uh, boat they're looking uh, for some Viet Cong, uh, and in actual fact, fi- and in actual fact, they find this like woman who has this very very sick child, who asks them if they can help. But if you look at this uh, photo. Uh, there clearly is a complex story going on. You can tell from the individual characters within this, you can read an awful lot into this photo in terms of what's <coughs> happening and <coughs> make judgments about the people within this photo. And that was really uh what we were trying to, to get at. And then um again as Ray had said the concept of making moral judgments. So yet again we can look at this photo, and we can construct a, a story of what is going on. Who are the bad guys? Who are the good guys? Etc. Etc. In this type of situation. So we come on to forgiveness, and and, and, and therefore I I am going to be arguing that they are compassionate, i.e. empathic feelings that support a willingness to forgive, or as the act of excusing a mistake or or. Offence, and we were interested in one component of this, or we uh, thought that we could get at one component with this, which is judging the uh, like forgivability of others' actions, often uh, often taking context into uh, like consideration. Uh, so, so, rather than actively forgiving, and I'll talk later about a uh, study that's actually unpublished in which they trying to look at actively forgiving we thought that we could move towards this question in terms of uh, like, forgivability judgments. And I also wanted to, to, to bring in the concept of intention. That forgiveness um, has a lot to do with the uh, like intentions of the other person. So we blame agents who try but fail to harm others, while we generally are more forgiving of agents who harm others accidentally and Unknowingly, and I'll talk briefly as well about a more recent study which is looking at intention. So basically, uh, we were working within this sort of hierarchy, uh, as we saw it. So it's a theory of mind at the bottom, being a constituent part of like social cognition, and then uh, sort of above this. I don't, I don't, I don't know how uh, much we would want to like biologise these but the ideas of empathy and sympathy and then uh, like forgiveness if, if anything at the top of the pyramid so to take a step back you know if, if, if we were able to neuro image forgiveness it would you know it, it has a good aspect and, and, and a bad aspect in, in terms of being like attractive it's you know which may be of interest to uh, Way and of course, if we can do it, it, would be to Us to reveal a like physical basis of a uh, psychological concept, like a ethereal concept, that uh, which is like which has an element of being like, attractive. Of course, it's also quite disturbing. It's <coughs> exposing our uh, thoughts and moral judgments and emotions <coughs> to scrutiny and quantitative uh, like analysis. And lots of us uh, feel uneasy with that type of concept. There's been a lot of studies recently looking at deception, indeed I've done some studies of deception myself. Uh, And the idea that a machine can look inside your brain and uh, tell you you're really forgiving or really telling the uh, truth is quite sort of science science fiction. And I would argue that we're actually a long way from doing that. Uh, But it's worth thinking about the uh, two uh, sides to this. So, in terms of the assumptions that, that we made uh, when we designed and ran this uh, study, we were thinking of uh, forgiveness being dependent on our interactions with and perception of people around us. So we were uh, considering the idea of a uh, social cognition paradigm, that it was likely to involve an aspect of moral judgment, that it would depend on on empathising with Another person's situation feelings and motives, and it would depend on a capacity for theory of mind. So seeing the world from someone else's point of view, from someone else's perspective. So, so that was the uh, background as as to what we were doing. It, uh, it, in terms of the uh, paradigm that we used, when we did this, which in uh, comparison uh, to modern paradigms is really quite, well, a lot simplistic, but this is, and an example of what we were doing. So, as I was saying, you have the uh, baseline condition and and the active condition, and we we subtracting the uh, baseline condition from 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 the active condition. So this is basically trying to like, subtract out uh, all of the uh, processes that, that the individual is going through in the uh, scanner uh, when they are performing the task. So, so they're given this uh, like scenario as an example. Okay. By approaching a large traffic jam on the motorway, it's not rush hour. There'd be no roadwork signs, and they're asked to decide by pressing the left button, left uh, option, or the right button. The right option is more likely explanation for the delay. And it's not meant to be a right or wrong answer. This is merely to get people in the uh, scanner making a uh, judgment, thinking about a a a a situation which is like external to them, uh, and and. Also, physically making the uh, button uh, presses. So, in terms of the empathy one, and they were asked in, the, in this one, there is one about a uh, friend, and they're actually asked to think about a uh, person they know, and there's one about their uh, mother and a brother and sister, etc. So your friend is, is, is upset and shaken, so you have to think about an individual person. You come home, your friend's had an unpleasant experience that day, and the decision you have to make is more like the explanation for the friend's state of mind. And there were, and there were <coughs> lots and lots of these, and the uh, point is you're relating it to an individual <coughs> that you're thinking of. So, so you're trying to project yourself to that individual. And therefore, uh, like again in this, there's no right or wrong answer, but you are uh, thinking about an individual. And in terms of the forgivability judgment, the scenario here, a young man being visited by the police, there's some details that the young man is in the streets, recently lost his job and told you couldn't pay his rent. And you're asked to uh, decide which of the following crimes is more forgivable. So yet again, this is bringing in the concept of like theory of mind, of empathy and of moral judgments. So what would be the uh, difference in these? So to move straight to the results, these are known as uh, statistical parametric maps. So uh, in the uh, top left-hand corner, we're looking at the, uh, the, the brain from the right-hand side. So this is the frontal the brain, the frontal lobes above the, the orbit, <coughs> uh, the, 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 the back of the brain here. This is the brain somewhere some level coming down here. Uh, and you're looking all the way through the brain. So imagine it's like a glass brain looking all the way through. This is the brain from the uh, back, so this is the, the left hand side of the brain, not the left hemisphere of the brain, the right hemisphere of the brain and the left and right, like well, the cerebellum. And this is the brain from overhead, and an, an axial view. So this is the front of the brain here and the back of the brain here in the, the left and the right. So basically, this uh, area of activation, which we can see here in black here, is the same as this area of activation here, and the same as this area of activation. So basically it's a way of, of representing the, the position within, within the brain within sort of three dimensions. So basically we got these areas of activation when we did the subtraction of the empathy minus the like, social cognition paradigm and also for the, for the like forgivability. So, so, so the areas of, of activation which we see here are an area of what is known as medial prefrontal cortex at the of the frontal brain which is the uh, part of our brain which, ha- which has developed most recently in terms of, of, of like evolutions, and a part of the brain that I, I, I suppose makes as human. I mean, then if an our brain has a monkey's brain, a monkey's brain is very similar. A part of its functional lobes are uh, smaller. So it's a part of our brain involved in sort of uh, planning uh, in in, in uh, bit. Uh, this, this is an area that has the back right, which you can see here, you know, this supposed to be a cingulate, which I'll take some more, like, a in a minute. And this is an area known as the left middle temporal gyrus. So this is a, a, an area within the like, limbic kind of system which is involved in like, emotional interpretation, uh, um, etc. And in terms of these figurative judgments, again, we get this area of medial prefrontal cortex, You can see here. So uh, at this point, I won't say much more, like apart from we got very uh, specific uh, like foci uh, in relation to the empathy paradigm <coughs> and the forgivability uh, paradigm, which is suggesting uh that there's something uh, extra in, in, in our brain that is going on uh, like above and beyond the judgments of uh, like social cognition. <coughs> So here are the uh, same uh, maps that I just uh, and I showed you uh, here on the right hand side and here are some uh, like previous uh, studies uh, which uh, had, had been published. Uh, so this one uh, at uh, the top left which is the um, same way of presenting uh, the results which is a uh, PET study in which they've injected a, a like, radioactive tracer. Uh, in uh, we looking at uh, theory of mind, a study by uh, Fletcher et al. from 1995. So when they had their uh, subjects in the uh, scanner doing a task of uh, like theory of mind, uh, and uh, if like need be, uh, I can actually uh, show you what what they were doing. People were <coughs> interested, and we find yet again this area of medial prefrontal cortex and this area of posterior cingulate which is coming out in this study and then in this uh, study uh, down the bottom from a green account there was a piece from uh, Princeton this was published in uh, Science in uh, 2001, they had some uh, subjects in the scanner making <coughs> moral judgments, and this is a a uh, different way of looking at the uh, brain in which they are <coughs> showing three axial slices through the uh, brain but yet again they show an area of medial prefrontal cortex which you can see on this slide at the front and an area of posterior cingulate which you can see on this slide here and then uh, two areas which are known as the temporary junction uh, which are uh, shown here <coughs> so there appears to be a, a, an overlap uh, in, in terms of the activation that we have shown to the empathy <laughs> and the <laughs> paradigms to these uh, previous paradigms looking at uh, theory of mind judgments. so to uh, move on to what has uh, happened uh, since that study was published in uh, 2001 Uh, and and I mentioned the concept of like intention so this is a uh, study that was published by uh, Young and Sachs who were also in the states in 2009 and this, this look at the concept of like intention So basically, within this study, everyone uh, starts at the uh, top where they take a different route to the uh, bottom. So so they're all given this background information. Grace and her friend are taking a tour of a chemical plant. When Grace goes over to the coffee machine to pour some coffee, uh, Grace's friend asks for some sugar in hers. There's white powder in a container by the coffee. And then people are given two different options. There is, so, a negative option. The white powder is a poison left behind by a scientist. So, of course, it's a scientist who's left his nasty poison behind, because that's what we all do, isn't it? We make poisons. Uh, As opposed to the white powder is regular sugar left behind by the nice kitchen staff. Uh, Then then they're given a belief. The container is labelled toxic. So Grace believes white powder is a poison, or the container is labelled sugar, so Grace believes that the white powder is regular sugar, and then they're given an outcome. So a negative uh, one. So Grace puts a substance in her friend's coffee. Her friend drinks the coffee and gets sick. Uh, or uh, Grace puts a substance in her friend's coffee. Her friend drinks the coffee and is fine. And you're then asked to make like, a judgment: How much blame does Grace uh, deserve for putting the uh, substance in? So maybe the uh, thinking uh, behind this one, there uh, would have been like one example of this, is that uh, if your uh, friend gets sick uh, because you put something in coffee, but you genuinely believed that it was sugar, then, then somehow that is more forgivable uh, than if, if you knew it was, was poison and put it in. And yet again, the uh, network of, of activations that they revealed in this study included these areas of medial prefrontal cortex, posterior signal. This is a, a single slice through the brain. So and then there's bilateral uh, temporal junction. <coughs> yeah. So it's been this of the latter uh, study that has looked at that. Now all of these uh, studies are are looking. Oh, so, so, sorry, I was I was uh, going to and uh, I like say uh, briefly think about these uh, areas and what they've been like, associated with. So the left middle temporal gyrus this is like temporal junction uh, has been associated with the depth of like semantic processing and the like a sense of like immersion or the uh, contextualizing of an external scenario so all of these are aspects of uh, social cognition uh, and it's also activated uh, when when you look at tasks which are alternating between an emotional and a neutral uh, word. The posterior cingulate has been associated with the perception and evaluation of emotional stimuli, the evaluation of emotional salience of a stimulus, and the interaction between memory retrieval and emotion, and also that sort of self-monitoring. So we talked previously about the distinction uh, between self and and other, so it's internal visceral state monitoring of self-behaviour. So as soon as we perform a behaviour, we're then monitoring how it is received uh, and making that for the next one how do we feel that uh, that, that, uh, that is so known as um, interception mm-hmm. and then finally this uh, medial prefrontal cortex uh, this, this uh, in terms of evolution and very, very recent areas of the brain involved in the inferring sorry, of, sorry, in, 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 involved in, 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 in inferring the intentions and mental sex of others <coughs> as was saying it was activated by the performance on the theory of mind tasks and in monitoring the uh, subject's own um, internal state which of course is a pre- prerequisite to predicting the, the behaviour of others. Now all of those uh, studies that I've done <coughs> so far have, have been uh, slightly abstract so so you're asked to make these uh, judgments, that's a theory of mind, about intention, about forgivability, about empathy. But they're judgments about an external scenario. And so far, no, no, one, no, no one has published, anyway, uh, as regards a, a study in which people have, have had people in the scan trying to actually actively forgive. So, so, so it's definitely a significant difference between actively forgiving and making a... A, a judgment of or like forgivability, but there is a group in, in like Italy who, who I believe actually did this study in about 2001 2002, but, the, but they have been, you know, haven't been published, I think, called Pietro Pietrini and, and his group, in which they, 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 they had people in the scanner actively forgiving. Uh, so uh, it was basically like imagining situations in which you either gave or withhold your you either know, gave or withheld your uh, forgiveness. And they, 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 they previously uh, have uh, they, they, they published a a, a, a wellness study like in terms of well, like aggressive behaviour. So I give it is a scanner the imagine being like aggressive. So so rather than making an external judgment about aggression, they have people in the they were with were we're doing this in, 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 in terms of, of genuine forgiveness. So, so, we did this on 60 on from the scanner and had individualized scenarios. So, they previously had interviewed the, the people and asked them about a, a scenario which was relevant, <coughs> where they'd been wronged or whatever, and therefore they could have them in the scanner, actively thinking about it, and actively forgiving the person who had wronged them. And although it's not been uh, published, uh, there's been a, 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 a number of posters uh, and comments on, on, on this, and, and there, as I say, these, these results are not are not published. But in terms of like imagining the, 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 the scenario, uh, the people in this in, in, in this study had an active, in terms and quantify their visual cortex in terms of like in, imagining the, 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 the scenario uh, when they were were presented with the event was personal to them. They showed this activation of the limbic cortex, this uh, uh, this, this part of, of our brain uh, in terms of of, of, of of recognizing an emotion. And then when they went through the process of actively forgiving the person who wronged them, they reported this, this this activation of of the medial, medial and uh, superior frontal cortex. And there was also some activation. Of an area called the anterior cingulate cortex, which has been associated with uh, like, um, reward, and and there there is a a, 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 a debate in, in in a lot of its literature about the the uh, the aspect that like, reward would, would, would play as as, as to whether there is a, a degree of feeling good at empathising and at uh, giving uh, forgiveness uh so, so and there uh, were a, a number of phases that the people had gone through in terms of regulating their emotional their, their, their response uh, of making the the the, the, uh, uh, the, the judgment the, 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 the moral judgment and then go through this decision making process so to conclude uh there isn't and we never claimed that there was this uh, like forgiveness center. Clearly, to, to an extent, the brain is, is modular. There's particular parts of the brain which are specialized for particular tasks, but when you get to this type of, of level, clearly is, is not a, a part of the brain which is specialized for uh, like forgiveness. In terms of the research which is, uh, has happened so far, so for uh, theory of mind and moral judgement and uh, like capability judgments they've always always been passive about scenarios rather than actively forgiving, actively empathising, although we do have this unpopular study by uh, Peter Trini. It's worth pointing out that there's no medical disorders which which are characterised by an inability to forgive, although there is a lot of of, of evidence that forgiving uh, certainly has a... uh, uh, is uh, good for for people in terms of uh, self-victim, uh, and this may come come back to uh, something that, that Ray was was saying in terms of, uh, <coughs> of um, remorse that it, in, in after fact the uh, literature would, would say that whether the person is uh, like remorseful or not it often is, is good to forgive them because if you don't you get into like morbid or like rumination <coughs> in which the patient is constantly reflecting on I, I, I've been I've been wronged, and therefore, if, if it's possible to frame uh, forgiveness of, of dealing with an incident and moving on, then possibly whether whether the uh, the, the, the person who's wronged you is remorseful or not becomes less important uh, in relation to getting on with your your life. So there's been specific brain regions. Uh, <coughs> Uh, which have been implicated it is true that uh, empathy is relevant to a great number of neuropsychiatric conditions uh, in terms of uh, autism, in terms of psychopathy uh, schizophrenia etc it it, uh, it, uh, plays a role in in all of these Uh, we clearly uh, need need, need to look much more at the role of uh, the more of like Chardonnay uh, and of course of uh, cultural norms so what it means within your norm to forgive someone. So in certain cultures, it's something which you would boast about. You tell everyone, I've forgiven this person. I am a good person for having done that. In other cultures, it's something much more personal that you keep to yourself and not something that you would sort of go like around shouting about. So the uh, question re- really is, uh, what can such neuroimaging offer philosophy and vice versa and as you can see Ray and I have come up with, at this this this, this, uh, this problem very uh, differently uh, but hopefully we will be able to, to, to draw some power it. so I'll just end by uh, thanking uh, all, all, all the people who were involved in those uh, of these uh, studies and the funding uh, uh, that we had to pay for them thank you very much Oh thank you so um
1: Uh, uh, the effort to understand what it means to have wronged someone and why you should forgive them, even though it's an effective understanding and therefore contrast with what you call a cold understanding, uh, is is misleadingly called visceral, uh, as though it's instinctive of gut, That's that's what people convey. It can it it can involve it can, invo- it can invo- the the. The kind of understanding that's involved in forgiveness can be very, very sophisticated, even though it is effective, essentially effective. <coughs> so that, I think it would be misleading to call it, it visceral, as though it's guts uh, and all it. And it, it, it underplays the, the degree to which a kind of moral education of sensibility is necessary here. Uh, and, and, the, and, and that moral education of sensibility to which feeling is utterly critical, it seems, it seems to me, uh, also in, in, in involves certain kinds of questions which, which are, are controversial, but which I don't think neuroimaging can answer. Uh, like, for example, if, can you forgive whatever you'd like to do? I mean, can what you would like to do fall under the concept of forgiveness if you know that the person who's wronged you doesn't care a stump? It may be very good for you to overcome your self-lacerating feelings of resentment in those circumstances. It doesn't follow that what's available to you is to forgive. It's a conceptual question as to under what condition something counts as forgiveness. I mean, Tom described, uh, for, for example, uh, people as being more prone to forgive or thought things to be more forgivable uh, if there were no intentions involved, if the thing was purely accidental. Well, as far as my ear goes, if, some, if someone harms you accidentally in ways that are not at all culpable, not because they are careless, etc., etc., there is nothing to forgive. Uh, so, uh, And that's it. It, if someone, dis- let's say, Tom, if Tom disagrees, I can't see that any pictures he would show, of men, or to me or his colleagues or whatever, about the brain would make it, a, a difference. it. It would be like if somebody said, "Why can't you love someone passionately for five minutes?" And I'd say that's not that doesn't count as love. And and let's say remorse. When what I was talking about. When when remorse. Moves away. I, I described it as as as, as a, an indivisible focus of attention, both on oneself and the other. And when it moves <coughs> to oneself, it becomes it becomes corrupted. Uh, it, and then one would say this is no one could say it's no longer remorse, or one would say it's no longer elusive or or, or or clear remorse. So, so there <coughs> are. It's, it, it seems to me certain. certain I, I I can't think of a better word to describe it. As conceptual questions—that that, that is, questions as, as to when a certain kind of concept applies—which it seems to me that neuroscience can't settle. There's an old debate, for example, about whether—I'm sure you know the story of Oedipus. Records. Oedipus uh, uh, was 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 someone an ancient hero uh, who was who was uh, he came born into a royal family. It was prophesied that he would kill his father and marry his mother. His parents decided they'd better get rid of such a child and they gave him to a shepherd to 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 uh, and the shepherd put put him on a hill and put a stake through his foot and then took pity on him and raised him. And then when he was a young man, Oedipus got wind of this story that he was to kill his father and marry his mother. And then he fled and in the end killed a man who was his father, married a woman who was his mother. When you read the play, Sophocles's play, there's absolutely no doubt whatsoever, it seems to me, that the words with which Oedipus responds to the knowledge of what he's become, though he purely unintentionally, are the words of remorse. There's no doubt about that. And the chorus in the play, who are, are both agents and spectators, as it were, because they know he's not blamable, because he did it out of a non-cultural ignorance, feel sorrow for him, but sorrow for the wrongdoer that he has become. Now, there's a, a, now there, there are moral philosophers, in fact it's the dominant tradition, who say it was irrational for him to feel remorse. Because if he wasn't blamable, how could he feel remorse? And therefore, they say the superstitious Greeks. It's understandable if you kill your father, marry the mother. You shouldn't be upset, the course, <laughs> just a little bit, or perhaps even a lot, but not remorse. Is the thought? Right? Now, I think this is an interesting, interesting argument, but but I don't see it's one that neuroscience could settle at all. Okay. okay so we something about how neuroscience.
2: Not <laughs> you think philosophy can be to in science? But well, I think philosophy can sit with eyes I mean, I, mean I, think, I think that when 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 we were were considering these issues, we looked at a lot of what uh, philosophy had to say about them, and we were certainly interested in what philosophy had to say about them, uh, but then we had to come down to the practicalities sort of. <coughs> it and I suppose that neuroscience works with those types of practicalities and that we see uh, patients who talk about forgiveness and talk about rewards in uh, situations uh, that might not conform to your semantic distinctions really and I mean I suppose that you know it's the health of patients it's a scientific issue but what we're often dealing with to patients, you know, in life what you have to do is, you know, learn to forgive yourself again and again and again. Really. And 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 that, uh, you know, if 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 a patient is 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 expressing that So if you give a, a patient a drug which is um, empathogenic, so a, a drug which increases uh, you know, the, the degree of, 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 of empathy. We, we, we're interested in the you know, is, is, is it possible to, to give 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 patients a drug which make them more moral? More, more and then all of these are philosophical questions as to you know, if you know if, if, you know if, if someone chose to take in their own eyes their own reflection and in other people's more more moral would they be taking the the, the weak way out in in taking that product. so so, 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 I mean we we are are starting from the the, the, the premise that these types of judgments of of empathy of, of forgiveness of moral judgments of moral responsibility have a new Trying to get a, a window into in, in, in <coughs> where uh, we are, are uh, coming from, and we, we don't have the the, 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 the you know the, the luxury of of uh, dictating I- exactly what our 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 thoughts are doing. In the, uh, well, I, there, there are different
1: issues here, it seems to me. I mean, I I I I, I have no hesitation. In thinking the mind and the brain are one. So uh, uh, let's put that aside. There's no disagreement. Uh, And uh, I I really hope that you do well, so that when through I saw a a film you saw on television, many of you may have seen, (coughs) on the program on the brain, and there was a man uh, in in that film uh, who had a brain tumour, and uh, in order after that he was incapable of any effective responses and he he said uh, he said it was such a terrible life because he could see that people were let's say suffering or unhappy he knew that they were but he was emotionally entirely dead to, to that day uh, so i hope I know, everybody hopes that, that you can come up with something to be able to fix that thing uh, and uh,
3: I have no no worry
1: about any of that at all. I just uh, you know, uh, elbow to your what is it, grease your elbow. <laughs> get on with it. Do it. I'm you say, I'm very. Uh, but of course, that doesn't settle the question as to whether your patient, who feels remorseful, uh, <coughs> when uh, it looks <coughs> as though, according to normal criteria of the application of the concept, he should. Uh, not not morally, but it's just a misapplication of the concept, and it it, it doesn't. Inse- I I don't want to say concepts come come from heaven, yeah? but it but it, it, it <coughs> uh, the concepts we have are, are open to revision. But if we argue about whether Othello loved Desdemona, and someone says, "How could you love? How could that really be love? Yeah? Because you're so obsessed. You know, your work will, will set another question. Uh, I think I'd agree with that. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and <laughs> some, some of we have a disagreement about humility, and I say, I don't call that humility, I call that servility. It's really important about what we call our inner emotional life. And this is a, this is something that Socrates had already. Love as opposed to infatuation, real courage as opposed to recklessness, real humility as opposed to civility and such. Uh, and and uh, uh, t- the, the discussion between us and the agreements, disagreements we have, and of course, disagreements we have in one culture, but then have between us and another culture, I don't think those things will be settled by Euro nor at all. At some points they're just asking questions to to be
0: yeah. had. I think at this point um we should open up the discussion to <coughs> the audience. I'm sure there's lots of questions. <coughs> <laughs>
1: The makes it, Bernard Williams makes a distinction between what he calls agent regret, where you might just let in the case of the poison completely without culpability poison and kill your, your friend. Such a person would feel terrible and differently from someone who was a witness to the deed but didn't, just because she did it. Huh? Uh, it now, but if someone says, okay, that's perfectly understandable, and in fact we'd think it pretty terrible if she didn't be terrible, because she didn't. But that's not remorse, supposing we have this discussion. I don't, I don't see that if the images were exactly the same, that that would settle the question.
4: I think if the images were the same, then we would say something like, well, this, you know, people seem to be affected in the same way, but there's something irrational about it in the second case. something like, it seems like, you know, whether we do something wrong and then feel bad about it, that's very different from doing something and then learning that it has bad consequences. We didn't know we were doing that. And the way that that affects us, you yeah. know, it's very, very different the way that that shows up in our brain. And then I would be less tempted to say that it's a form of irrationality. It's just that we are differently affected by it, but I, I think it's
1: a real empirical question, an interesting empirical question. But, that but, you, like beg, an but, but you beg a question, it seems to me, by saying when, when the images are the same that they feel the same. That hasn't been settled, because the question is under what concepts do their feelings fall? Okay? And if it's the concept of let's call it agent regret, that's one case. And if it's the concept of remorse, it's another case. And there'll be different things we say about it. For example, one of the things that strikes me as very interesting about remorse is, is, is that when a person is remorseful, she's not consoled by the knowledge that other people have done the same thing. Remorse seems to me that a unique suffering in that every other form of human suffering you can take some consolation in the fact that mm-hmm. others have done something like it. And I think that's true of Asian regret too. We might disagree here, but what I'm getting at is, here's a way of individuating, or distinguishing, as it were, people's responses, and therefore the concepts under which their feelings fall, which which, which we would we would still argue about, even if the images were exactly the same. I don't see that the images could settle it. It would be very interesting why the images were the same. But I'd say that's Tom's problem, right? <laughs> he, he has to explain that. That's his...
5: Um I, I agree with uh, Professor Gaeta that I'm, I'm sure that uh, all kinds of permaneutical questions about what exactly is an emotion will not be solved by brain <coughs> images. But uh, maybe uh, we can try to be more positive about what we can tell. Uh, maybe not by confirming, but by refuting some philosophical That had a theory of emotions that uh, there are some a few building blocks that are some very basic emotions, and but most of our emotions are actually all kinds of configurations or additions of of the the, the most basic emotions. Now, uh, thinking about about uh, your uh, your understanding of forgiveness, giving it a you know a, a possible rendition that could. that that would maybe apply to to some some, uh, experiment. So we could say, well, it would be interesting to see whether if we can have people imagine uh, remorse (coughs) and then have uh, have functional MRI and then have people imagine empathy and then have functional MRI and then have people imagine forgiveness and then see if the imaging that we see in forgiveness is actually a summation, in some way, of empathy and remorse. You see what I'm saying? Uh, now it's clear. Is that clear? What I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's it's clear that uh, you can you can feel, uh, if I understand you correctly, you know, you, uh, you can feel forgiveness even if the other person is not feeling remorse. But but you imagine another person feeling remorse. Then you imagine yourself feeling empathy and you do like these different conditions of an experiment, and then you do another experiment about forgiveness, and that can at least say refute a certain under- possible understanding, uh, a la Spinoza, of say of oh, forgiveness as remorse plus empathy. Uh, so do you think that this kind, first Professor uh, do you think that this kind of experiment m- makes sense? Well, it makes sense to, to to to
2: an extent, but I think that part of the, the problem with kind of semantics is that we can't project onto uh, people what they mean by a, a uh, concept. So you know, if if, 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 they, if, 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 if their understanding of, of of forgiveness is different to to, to, to something, someone else's, then then presumably brain activation would be very. I mean, you know, an, an example of that. The difficulty with that is, 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 is you're not measuring the the like objective truth. You're merely measuring what the person believes to be true, really. And therefore, you know, if you have someone who is is, is, is deluded and tells you that they are the uh, king of, of, of Spain, and you ask them in, in the scanner if they are the, 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 the king of Spain, then they look as though they're telling the truth. So, 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 so. The point of that is, is simply to, uh, to, to, to say that, that I, 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 I don't think you, you can come up with a, a paradigm or a task which means the same thing to ev- everyone who performs who, 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 who it. And, and, and therefore, you may get the same activation in, in different individuals to slightly different tasks that they're, they're doing. Uh, depending on which brain resources they're recruiting
5: to perform that uh, task. But so you're telling us that the functional MRI is done only on groups. So, so you, if i understand it correctly, so like, you actually compare groups, not individuals. When you do look look, look at look
2: at uh, at uh, groups, and I suppose that that is a, another. I mean, I mean there's, there's basic things you can do on an individual which will show up a, on a task. So, if you do a really basic task, like they're tapping their finger or a flashing checkerboard pattern or a tone that, the, uh, that they're playing, you, you won't get the same, act- an identical activation the second time you do a task or the first time you do a task because you have like uh, habituated to it and you have a memory for the previous task. So, so, I, mean, so I mean, I don't, I don't. I don't you know, there's a limit to to how much we can say anyway that the activation would be identical. But I do uh, so. So I, I think I think it, Yeah, I, I be, yeah I, I'm, I'm taking on board that there's, you know, there's, there's enormous limits to what this technique can reveal. But I think that it does have have have, have, have something uh, to
3: Twenty questions, but I'll try to make just one or <coughs> <quite> two. <true. laughs> um, I was wondering if um, you you talked about um, the remorse, um, and I was wondering uh, if uh, for you forgiveness is always part of remorse. There is the the, people, the person who feels remorse wants to be forgiven, on one hand, and on the other, what is the role of um, unforgivable?
1: I think it's true that a, a, a remorseful person wants to be forgiven. Uh, quite why, I don't. I mean, I find that I find remorse in a way mysterious, and I find forgiveness equally so. So I, I'm not quite sure what forgiveness does. But I think I think it's partly directed to what we colloquially call the burden of guilt. Or, and I take remorse to be nothing other than <coughs> a pain to recognition. Of, of what one morally has done uh, I, and as for the unforgivable, I'm not sure that anything is, I'm not sure that anything is unforgivable for certain people uh, for some people, for uh, some people. But, uh, uh, and there is one, one, look, one thing is, is clear that there are some wrongs such if the people can't forgive, nobody would dare blame. Uh, but that doesn't mean that that, that that wrong is unforgivable in the sense that we would fault somebody else in a similar situation. Perhaps very as very saintly person who did. I
2: think, uh, so I, think, yeah. I think. I think. I think. I you know, think. There's, there's so many different concepts of, of, of forgiveness. Very recently, there's almost been this concept of using forgiveness like a, 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 a weapon. There's been uh, some, some some recent cases. One on recently of a, a, a mother who is I think that her daughter had been you know abused and murdered in, in a particularly sort of, uh, horrific way, and one of the first things she did was come out and say I forgive the perpetrators. It it it, 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 was, it was almost used like a sort of stab like whatever you.
3: The brain um, showing that the, the if, if forgiveness produces, for instance, compared with empathy, more emotions or more uh, self-fulfillment uh, than other sorts of um, emotions.
2: We don't have evidence for, for 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 that, and I think I think I think that. We that it it would be (coughs) difficult to, to look at that type of question objectively.
0: start slightly late. We'll take one more question,
6: maybe two depending on how fast you answer. <laughs> um, may, may I ask, if um, remorse so if forgiveness is a perspective would <laughs> it therefore be right to say that the same sort of the feeling for the person wrong is a process for some <laughs> of what the person that has wronged has turned it It appears to me that what Socrates is doing is actually to model water when someone has wronged me. I start to think of what the person has done. then I start to feel sorry for him.
1: Rather than <laughs> be forgiving me, than actually forgiving me. That's... <laughs> yeah, yeah, um... No, I mean... You, sorry, if I have understood you is I thought... Since Socrates says the worst thing that can happen to somebody is to be a wrongdoer, the idea is, is that, that when I wrong somebody, I say, God, do you think you've got that? Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's obviously, a, that's obviously a, a... It's a very important fact about the moral life, I think, that, that, that our sense of wrongdoing is somehow connected with a sense of identity. And that we express that when we say things like, if I did that, I couldn't live with it." But we have to get, get, get that right because the reason it's a terrible thing to do is not because you couldn't live with yourself. Because then someone might say, Well you never know, if you do it a few times <laughs> And so on. We'll take a pill, we'll don't see a psychiatrist, we'll tell you lots of people do it. Yeah, Control people and say it's okay. So but that can't be the right Can I just make
0: a plea here for conception?
2: Oh, sorry. Go I think we have maybe the question about the process. Well, it, in answer to, to the process, indeed, it, you're, in, you're part of a process. You can move from being depressed to being non-depressed. You can move from anxious to being non-anxious. You know, you, you're in a process of forgiveness, which for some people...
1: there aren't yeah. well, I, I don't know that I said that, that there aren't I mean, I <coughs> uh, but I think in order for, 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 for in order for, for one to count some offences as unforgivable uh, it's a matter of saying e- even the most saintly person couldn't forgive this and that's not a psychological observation but would be saying would be morally confused in thinking that he should and I can't think of any deed of which that is true, and uh, it's not—it's not because I don't think of terrible things. I've written quite a lot about the Holocaust, for example. Uh, I wouldn't—I wouldn't dare say any deed or any I, any I, or any wrong to them that his his or her deeds are such that they're beyond the figures. simply. For make just a plea here about uh, it could be called a semantic point. I don't think it is. If you think of, let's say, all those arguments about whether chimps speak, etc., when they do such and such, as well as all the the experimental work and all the rest of it, there had to be conceptual questions about what counts as as a language. And they couldn't be settled by the experimentation. Uh, And uh, so for example everybody knows that sort of, cows communicate by mooing, but nobody thinks moo is a word. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and when it gets more sophisticated... And I want to say the same here, that there are... There are you know, wh- wh- whether, you, wh- whether you can demand forgiveness or whether you can't, whether it's necessarily something freely given, uh, wh- whether it's... those sorts of questions, the is about whether some deeds are unforgivable. If your neuroimaging can show that that there's a form of understanding to which effective responses are intrinsic, is intrinsic, so, then then Kant is wrong. That's no small result. Uh -uh. Okay, and with that potentially big result, I think we have to conclude tonight. Um, Please join me in thanking the speakers for their um,
0: fascinating contributions.